This is Mark Kelly, and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you for having me. And this is, thank you, Pete, this is the fifth um, talk in a series that we've been doing in reviewing our purpose as a particular family of God and our mission, if you like. We use the LEADS acronym. So we've talked about being loved, equipped, empowered, devoted, and sent. So today we're on week five, and we're talking about being a sent people. Now you've got a sheet of paper on the table. It's got all the Bible references that I'm going to be using, because there won't be time to read every passage fully, but I'd encourage you to take them away and have a look at them later. And I'm just going to start with the very first reading in a minute. So what does it mean to be sent? Well, it might seem obvious, really, but you can't actually be sent unless somebody sends you. There's always more than one person in a sending relationship. When you're sent somewhere, you aren't going on your own say-so, your own authority. Have you ever heard anybody grumble and say they're fed up at being at somebody's beck and call? But if we love Jesus and he's our king, then actually we've signed up to be always at his beckoning and his calling. And you can't be sent unless you're called. So when I was thinking about preparing for day, I was thinking about the story of the prophet Isaiah. That bit um, is chapter 6 of Isaiah that I'm going to read. In the year that King Uzziah died, there was a change, wasn't there, of government. There was a change of kingdom. There was a shift. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, And the skirts of his train filled the most holy part of the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two each covering his own face and two each covering his feet. And with two each they flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who cried, and the whole house was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone and ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then flew one of the seraphim to me, having a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from off the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity and your guilt are taken away. And your sin is completely atoned for and forgiven. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us, Father, Son 
Holy Spirit. And then said I, here I am, send me. And he said, go. So Isaiah had a vision of God, holy and exalted, sitting on a throne and worshipped by the angels. And in the presence of that most holy God, he came under conviction of his own sin and of the sin of the world that he was living in. But God touched him and made him clean. And he said, your sin has been atoned for. And then he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here I am, Lord, send me. And then the Lord said, go. I wonder if Isaiah would have said, send me, if he'd known in advance what it was that God was going to send him to do. He was about to be given some very strong messages for some very um, difficult people, let's say, some very stubborn people, messages that God gave him. But I love that Isaiah's name means the Lord saves Names are often very prophetic in the Bible, sometimes of what people were like, their characteristics, but quite often of what people were called to be and to do. So being obedient to God's call and to God's sending, Isaiah fulfilled the potential of his own name, and he actually embodied it. He literally became his own message of salvation. And in this, Isaiah gives us a kind of Old Testament foreshadowing, a picture, if you like, of Jesus. As it was with Isaiah, so it was with Jesus. The name Jesus means saviour, literally the same name in Hebrew as Joshua, Yeshua, or Isaiah. And in Luke's Gospel, Luke tells us that John, sorry, that Jesus was given that birth name by the Father, via Gabriel's message, even before he was conceived and born as a boy to Mary. Just like Isaiah, Jesus had a sent identity. His identity, his DNA was sent all the way through. And his sending was a love gift from heaven to us, to mankind. The Bible records that his birth was not only glory to God in the highest as the angels announced it, it was also the gift of shalom, the gift of peace, the gift of wholeness, well-being in every respect to the people of earth. And Jesus, in being obedient to Father's call, literally embodied salvation to people. Jesus himself spoke many times of his own calling and sending at the very beginning of his public ministry. He set his stall out, didn't he? He very publicly, very bravely, and very confidently declared that he was on assignment, sent by the Lord. You know the passage. God's spirit is upon me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. He sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and the battered free to announce that this is God's year to act. That's Luke 4.18 from the Message Bible. So what we see here is that Jesus, right from the beginning of his public ministry, defined his life in terms of his call, in terms of being sent. That's pretty challenging, isn't it, to us? Do we look at ourselves as having a sent identity? Is sent 
our DNA? If we were a stick of rock and it was broken across the middle, would it say sent in the middle? The psalmist tells us that God knew us before one of our days actually came to be, before we were even conceived and formed in our mother's womb. We were in his heart and in his purposes, whether our natural parents were aware of this at the time or not. When I was a little girl, my mum used to talk about the times before I was born. And she used to say, that was when you were just a twinkle in your daddy's eye. Does anybody else relate to that? Did anybody else's mum say that? Do you know that expression? Well, do you know we were a twinkle in our heavenly daddy's eyes? Even before the world was made, the word tells us. Even before we were born, we came to know his goodness in saving us. And our father has set good works apart from us to do. He sent us before we even came in physical form. And in the light of that, I find myself challenged as one of his followers. I have to ask myself lots of times if my direction of travel in life is always rooted around his scenting of me. Is my internal sat-nav, if you like, lining up with where he wants me to be and to go? If I heard his audible voice, like Isaiah did, saying, who will go for us, would I be able to honestly reply, yes, Lord, whatever it is, known or unknown, send me. Sometimes it's a good idea to ask ourselves some internal questions like that, isn't it? Not just like, what do I feel like eating for dinner tonight? Or what shall I wear today? But some more probing things. Do I know what Jesus has sent me to do at this particular period of my life, in this space that I live in, in the sphere of influence that he's given me? Or am I off, off on one, doing my own thing? In my family, in our church family, we're making life decisions in relation to what he wants for us, aren't we? And from us. We're not about being more interested in our own comfort, preferences and conveniences. I hope so. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by those sorts of questions. That happened to one young man who had an encounter with Jesus. The gospel story called him a rich young ruler. And he went away from his encounter with Jesus, sorrowful, it says, because he couldn't honestly answer yes to the particular call that Jesus made on him. However, there were lots of people in the gospel accounts who did say yes to his call. And there's a lot written about Jesus sending his followers out during the three years of his public ministry and about his discipleship, his training of them. Luke 10 tells us that he sent out 70 or so disciples and he sent them out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to declare that the kingdom of God had come in Christ and that people needed to get right with God. It was a big send. When they came back, they were really excited. Master, they said, even the demons were dancing to your tune. And Jesus said, I know, I saw Satan fall, that loser, like a bolt of lightning out of the sky. See what I've given you, safe passage to walk on snakes and scorpions and protection from every assault of the enemy, what Alan was saying at the beginning of the meeting. No one can put a hand on you. 
But then he said, all the same, the great triumph is not in your authority over evil, but in God's authority over you and his presence with you. It's not what you do for God, but what God does for you. That's the agenda for rejoicing. And it says, at that, Jesus rejoiced. In one version, it says he jumped up and down, exuberant in the Holy Spirit. I want to make Jesus jump up and down with joy, don't you? He's rejoicing because of what God has accomplished through these simple but obedient sent ones. And did you also get what he was sending about presence? What God did on that very first mission trip was all about the fact that they'd given him lordship in their lives and that his presence was with them. His presence is key. They had encountered Jesus face to face and their power came out of that intimate relationship that they had with him. He really wants it to be like that for us as well. Later on in John's Gospel, in chapter 17, we get another wonderful insight about how Jesus feels about sending out his disciples, where he prays for them. And I haven't got time this morning to go into that passage. That could be a message all by itself. But I do want to encourage you to read John 17 for yourself this week. That prayer of Christ reveals an enormous amount about the love relationship between the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit and the way that the Son allowed the Father to send him and about the way the Spirit allowed Jesus to send him and how he wants his followers to experience that same intimacy and powerful love and mutual submission which sent him out of heaven to earth to be a saviour. This is such an important point. I really want to stress it because the very heart of being sent is a love relationship. And if we're feeling like we're taking that relationship a bit for granted right now, if we feel that the flames of love in our hearts for Jesus have gone a bit dim, either recently or even a long time ago, then I do believe that Jesus wants to restore that relationship. He wants to touch our lips and he wants to light our flame of love towards him again this morning. He wants to make us clean, encounter us again by his grace, just like Isaiah did, and send us out full of his spirit and his shalom peace. A few days after that prayer was prayed, after the terrible events of the cross and the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. They were hiding behind locked doors. They were full of fear. They'd seen what the Jews had done to Jesus. They saw what the Romans had carried out. And they were scared. And then just to top that, Jesus appears through locked doors. And this was the first thing he said to them, peace be with you. It's that shalom stuff again. But he didn't say, it's okay, I'm back. It's all as it was before. Relax. He didn't say that. He said to them, as the Father has sent me in the same way, so send I you. He's reflecting back directly to what was prayed before in John 17. All that I have to give to you is just as the Father gave it to me. Everything that I have in relationship with the Father, you have through me and the Holy Spirit now. Amazing. And when he said this to them, he breathed on them. 
and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I think that is the point when Jesus cut the umbilical cord and he sent them out in their own right and authority in God. So that just as Jesus was born of Holy Spirit's breath on Mary, so now they were born again of the Holy Spirit and sent out. And that's just how it is for us as well. When the Spirit comes into our life, he's breathed on us and we're born again and sent out. So they were sent to the world to reconcile all things to the Father, and so are we. That was God's original intention, even in creation, that everything would be reconciled back to the Father in the way he wanted it to be. So like those earliest followers, Jesus is sending us to the world. Now it's a weird thing in John 17 that Jesus says that his disciples are not of this world, but that we are sent to this world. What did he mean? I think it helps to remind ourselves that the word world in the Bible has got several different meanings. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, let those who use the things of this world use them as if not engrossed with them. For this world in its present form is passing away. That's 1 Corinthians 7:31, And that meaning of the world means those sinful aspects of the way human beings have set things up, particularly society, which doesn't acknowledge God's ways and his wisdom. And he says we're not to get either engrossed by the way that the world does things or to be overwhelmed by evil. And I think it's easy for us to feel overwhelmed by evil. I don't know about you, but every day I see things that revolt me on the television news about the evil that human beings are capable of doing to one another, either deliberately and violently or by neglect. And we see injustice and poverty widespread, worldwide, and the effects of sin everywhere. And sometimes it can all just seem so big and difficult to make a difference to any of it. We can feel overwhelmed and helpless. But beloved, he doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. Together in the strength he gives us, together in the strength he gives us, gives us one to one another, we can challenge evil. And we can see things change step by step, one life at a time, one situation at a time. It's all by his power. Yesterday I saw some testimonies written down um, by Christians Against Poverty. It's amazing. They're doing an amazing work, those people, in bringing people out of the prison and oppression of debt and bad ways of living. And each of these testimonies was a story of an individual person's life. I was so encouraged by that. That's bringing the kingdom one step at a time, one life at a time. We're to be like the sons of Issachar in the Bible. If we ask him, Holy Spirit will help us to understand the times that we're living in and to discern what's really going on He'll show us how we can influence and change things as individuals and together as the body of Christ. And then it's for us to get on and do what he asks. So it might be about undoing the brokenness in so many people's lives, serving them in whatever walk of daily life God has called us to. We've sent to do all the good works that he's prepared for us to do, whether paid or unpaid in the family or outside of it. 
I love my job, praise God, but I know that I'm not just in it to enjoy it or even to do a really good job for my employer or because it pays well. You know, all of those things might be true, but I'm sent. And so are each one of us, whatever is our sphere of influence. Now, about the world, Paul also wrote, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, Romans 12.2. And the context that he's using actually here is don't be conformed to current religious tradition. So we're also called not to get bogged down in being religious. So that might be ways of doing church or ways of doing Christianity, our own traditions, even our own doctrine or theology or Bible school training. These things are not to become more important than his call on us to bless the world and on our ability to hear Jesus is the rhema word of God, his purposes and understanding are unfolding. And we're not to be boxed in by or squeezed into the mold of what we've always known. Religion is a death trap. He doesn't want us to be in it. But the third meaning of the world that the Bible talks about is that which is the created order, that which God made for us to live in and enjoy. Everything that he said was good at the beginning, he has not changed his mind about. That's the earth of Genesis, that's the world that God loves, and that's the world that will be reconciled through Christ and through us. John 3 says, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for it. And this is what Paul wrote to the first Christians in Colossae. God initiated the reconciliation of all things to himself. Through the blood of the cross, God restored the original harmony. His reign of peace now extends to every visible thing upon the earth, as well as those invisible things which are in the heavenly realm. The Message Bible says it this way, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe People and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies because of his death. I love that. So if we're sent, we're sent to all of these people and animals, the environment, science and society systems and organizations to reconcile them to a father who set the universe in motion in the first place. He loves it so much, this earth, and he wants to restore it fully. So God hasn't unsaid his very first commandment to us as humankind, that we're, to, we're sent to go forth and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. That word fill the earth can be interpreted literally as to cultivate. That means, just as you do with a garden, to open up and to fill every aspect of life with growth and learning and ideas and inventions and productivity and solutions and wholesomeness, all the good things that God's given us the potential and the gifting and the Holy Spirit's wisdom to do. Being sent also equals being church. Our mission as a church, a church family, is that we're sent. And that's what it means to be apostolic. 
to be both a sent and ascending body. Jesus is sending us into the world through the vehicle of the church, through the vehicle of the community of believers. The church is not here to be an end in itself. Now hear my heart on this. It's not a social club or a charity or a religious organization that exists for its members. Good as all those things are, it's a sent body on assignment and it's a sending body. And we can learn about the Holy Spirit's pattern from the book of Acts. Chapter 13 tells us that Paul and Barnabas were part of the early church in Antioch. And they were serving and working amongst the community there. And they were worshipping and fasting with people with the intention to hear God's will and God's purposes. And Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So they were apostolic ones, apostolic people, sent ones. And we are an apostolic people, we are sent ones. Now I want to just say a word about that song that we sent this morning, Fill Us Up and Send Us Out. You know, whenever we sing that, I'm always wanting to sing instead, fill us up, you've sent us out. You know what? He's already sent us, brothers and sisters. Imagine this, filling your car up with petrol and then never running the engine and using up the fuel. Well, you'd save money, wouldn't you? But you wouldn't get very far. (laughs) So the Lord Jesus has sent us to show the Father to people, just like the Father sent him. We read that earlier. And as we give away that living water, that life fuel that's in us, that Jesus has given us to refresh others, he gives us more to give. And he also graciously tunes up our engine to run better if we need it. Now personally, I don't know about you, but I don't want to ask for more unless I'm giving away that which he's already given me. I want there to be some room for the more. I want to give away what he's already given me. And I can hear a few people maybe saying inside their heads, well, that's all well and good for Paul and Barnabas to be apostles, but what about everyday life? They were special. But somebody's got to put bread on the table in our house and clothes on our backs. Do you know what? That is the lie of the enemy. For any of us to think that we are any less called or sent than the apostles It's a lie to think that our daily work and our unpaid serving or our study is any less important to Father because we're not full-time paid for pastors, evangelists, missionaries, church administrators, etc. We're all full-time. We're all fully meant to be in whatever God has sent us to do day by day. Um, Brian isn't here this morning, but a couple of weeks ago he gave a testimony. He said that he really did not want to go and live in Bramhope when he got a job there. I don't know why, Bramhope's a lovely place, but he really didn't want to go there. And yet, as he got stuck into the community, God was beginning to use him in terms of relationship with people. So we mustn't get discouraged from doing good and being leaders and influencers in the sphere, in the space that he's given us, whatever that is. 
And finally, we mustn't get discouraged from doing good. We're currently standing in a space where the kingdom of God is both here and now and not yet. We don't yet see everything coming under the lordship of King Jesus, Paul tells us. However, I have to believe that the old order of things locked into sin and death has to pass away. There's been a change of rule, a change of king. King Jesus has come. Sin and death have to pass away. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's our faith and our hope. We have his promise that all things will be restored in both heaven and earth to our lovely Jesus, the sent one. And at every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth, we'll bow before him. You know, can we believe for that? It's a big sending to embrace. Can we get excited about being sent out, just like the 70, that we are sent to pastor, to teach here, to tell people about the good news of Jesus, to be prophets to our neighborhood, to our workplace and our spaces? Because we've got all these fears of influence. I heard it said again by a preacher again yesterday. In those places where God has put us, we are called to be leaders. Even when life is frustrating, difficult, daunting, exhausting, can we keep on believing that we're sent out to do good? You know what will help us to persevere? I find this encouraging. He's promised that nothing we do for people or create in his name, or any good works that we do, however small and seemingly marginal for his glory, will be wasted. Every good work motivated by love is of eternal worth. It will endure for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says that. If we build with the cheap stuff, hay, wood, and stubble, those things don't usually last. They're temporary and they will rot away eventually or be burned up. But the costly things of effort and sweat and prayer and seeking God and obedience and hard work and keeping on, keeping on, even when it's tough, those are things of eternal value to God. And they're like gold and silver and precious jewels. And they're going to be preserved forever. And one day they'll form part of a crown. So finally, I just want to bring a picture that God gave me when I was praying about this. And I, I see the picture like this. We're all together on one of those moving pavements. You know, you, you see them at the airport, a travelator. It's a lovely word, isn't it? Travelator. We can stand together, or we can stand all together, or we can stand in small clumps, friends, families, or as individuals. But just like the travelator is always moving towards the destination, so are we. And that destination is called forever sent. If we believe we are sent, then we are never just the victim of circumstances. That is the lie of the enemy. We are always on assignment. We're always traveling. We're meant to be traveling with our toolboxes and our suitcases all ready to go, with gifts for others, both practical and spiritual. And he will enable us. He will grace our endeavors. He will achieve things through ordinary people like us. He'll use our work and our gifts and our heart 
and our givenness and he'll make us resilient through challenges. We can stand up and we'll give him great joy in our going out and our coming back with a good report. We'll make him jump up and down with exuberance like the 70 did. So what I want us to do is to, well, first of all, I want to say this. If anything that I've said has spoken to you, if you feel that you've lost that sense of drive and urgency and call, and you don't know what you're sent to, or even if you're sent, or you feel really uncertain of what he's asking you to do, um, I'm happy to pray with you after this, and I'm sure Pete will come and pray as well. But God doesn't want any of us not to know what we're sent to. You know, it's not a mystery. He speaks to us. He's a speaking God. So what I'd like to do now is for us just to lay a hand of blessing on somebody nearby and for us to pray for one another. Can we do that? Just get where you can just pray for somebody and bless them. Father, I thank you that a wonderful day is coming when this current flawed heaven and this current flawed earth will be wrapped up and come to an end. Jesus, you'll come and a new heaven and a new earth will be created just as you've promised. That's a great thing. And it's also a great thing that everything we do for you now, King Jesus, who sends us on your behalf, will stand and last forever. Praise you, Lord God. There's nothing we can do on assignment from you that will ever be wasted. Lord, you sent us to this world. Will you let your love and your healing power and might flow through us? Lord, we give you our lips and our hands and our feet and our brains and all our strength to be Jesus to people, to circumstances. Father, I'm asking this morning that you will increase our compassion Help us learn better how to do it, Lord. Give us fresh ideas and inventions to make things better, to find solutions to problems in the world, to make better products and services, to devise better ways of teaching and training people, to do art, to make music and dancing, to run departments and organisations and businesses and cities and nations in ways that demonstrate your lovely nature, purpose and intentions. You are so good, Lord. You make us so happy, Lord, because you've gifted us with so much peace, so much shalom. And now, Lord, we give it to one another. We send one another out in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of Holy Spirit. Thank you that we're sent, Lord. Amen.